0: to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Welcome back, everybody. Okay. First of all, I've got a Substack article up here for the month of December, and it's titled 15 Education Predictions and Continued Paradigms for 2023, the Previous Year, and the Habitings to Come. Um, Again, a lot of the so-called predictions that, that are sort of made or educated guesses are frankly a lot of things that are already taking place. And I'm going to describe a few of them a little later in this episode. But again, if you want to bounce over there and check that out, I highly recommend it. You can even go back and read the previous one that I did one year ago titled The Battlefield of Education in 2022. Or again, I highlighted just a couple of trends that I thought that were happening and things that were going to continue to happen, in particular the continued lower enrollment within universities and uh, and K-12 schools. And that is, of course, continuing to happen, and that's going to get bigger with time. But uh, there's a, a very specific thing, too, related to that particular article that I want to expand on a little bit. And it has to do with a school district that I've referenced on the show before, where actually my niece and nephew attend. And there are particular things going on within that school district and certainly within their board meetings that are worth mentioning again because there are a number of different patterns that are continuing to show themselves within these board meetings, which again is why at the end of the Substack article I recommend, excuse me, that people start watching school board meetings a little bit more closely. And my recommendation, frankly, I I, I would recommend just picking two pick two separate areas, maybe one where you live and then another town or another city where you don't. And and watch these board meetings. Again, they're, they're one a month. They can be a couple hours long. They can be shorter than that. But you can get a pretty good taste as to what is going on within that particular area and what these kinds of people are talking about. And then you can start to compare and contrast some of the different things that they're doing and saying. Uh, because they're moving at, at at different speeds. For example, the school district where I live, they are uh, in dire straits when it comes to money. And they're going to have to now start cutting people, and that's a good thing. Because, again, their levy didn't pass this past election. But then you look at, for example, the Westerville City Schools, which, again, is, I believe, in the top six um, largest school districts in the state of Ohio they are starting to struggle financially also. They're not talking about levies yet, although it was briefly mentioned in their last meeting, but they're openly admitting that they are going to be spending more money than they've ever spent before in this coming year, in the year of 2023. And while that is happening and their expenses are going up, the money that they're bringing in is going down, which means... What what options do they have left? It's only a matter of time before they start talking about a levy, because they're not going to cut costs. They're not going to get rid of the degenerate programs, like I've said. And again, heaven forbid they were to actually get rid of some sports. They don't want to do that. It's a big sports school district, sports related. They sort of fancy themselves as being that way, which is too bad, I think. But whatever. They have their priorities backwards. Uh, and And that's just the approach that they are taking, so my point is is that they're moving at different speeds, all these school districts, but they're all moving in the same direction, which is they're going to maybe not fully cease to exist in the in the grand scheme, but they're going to have to downsize in a way that is going to make the entire environment look totally different and again I I bring that up in the Substack article, but I'll get a little more specific here a little bit later uh, in this, in the first half of this episode. Here's what I want to bring up first, though. And I have some jab-related things, of course, toward the end. Uh, th- this was tossed to me from our Louisiana educator, who again has been a guest on the show and contributed to the show, and they sent me a text message the other day, and they said, I almost didn't text you this because I, I don't know what you think, but... Give this video a watch and and tell me what you think. And it had to do with the University of Idaho stabbings, so to speak, that, that allegedly occurred. I watched a couple of videos about it, and again, where allegedly four people died. Three girls, one guy, they were all living in the same house, and there were apparently two other people in the house who were not injured at all. Um, but were in the house when the alleged stabbings took place. Here's what I can tell you again, after having watched the videos and and looked at this, and and I again I greatly appreciate having this tossed my way and uh, allowing me to take a, mo- a more objective look at it because I was rather dismissive of it at first. It certainly seems to me like it's a false flag, and here's what I mean by that. It's pretty evident that there are a number of anomalies regarding this particular case and inconsistencies that are very absurd. Uh, There's almost too much to mention within the video, but I'm going to link the video in the description below so that you can watch it. I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed that I didn't catch this sooner. I think I was just so dismissive of it because I thought to myself, well, okay not to sound careless or callous or anything, but it's an area that I'm not familiar with. It was an area that had zero crime, apparently. Uh, yeah, just a, a murder like this is almost impossible based on, on where they live and what's going on. But if you understand, again, the the greater scheme of things, the enemy at play here needs a distraction, and why not have it take place on a college campus this time or a university campus as opposed to a K12 school. The K12 school manufactured shootings which again are not shootings and are fake are being played out. They've run their course to the point where if one happens it doesn't it doesn't garner a lot of attention. This of course has garnered more attention because you have white victims. Um, who are all over social media, putting themselves out there apparently. Again, I see victims with finger quotes here, but their lives are out there publicly for people to see. And then again, you hear about it in the news and then people just assume that it actually occurs. I think that there's just far more going on with this than than, uh, what meets the eye. A few things in this video that I do want to highlight though. One of the people that is being talked to with regularity by the media outlets regarding this alleged stabbing. Which, again, I I really don't think happened, and I'm going to get into two very specific reasons as to why that's the case. Uh, This particular guy is allegedly named Aaron Snell, A-A-R-O-N-S-N-E-L-L. He's claiming to be the communications director for the Moscow, Idaho Police Department. Now, here's the thing. The the name of Moscow is not an accident. This is done for the purpose of algorithm shifts in searches, so that if a person searches the word Moscow, or they're trying to look up something related to maybe Russia, they're not going to find it. They're going to find Moscow-Idaho stabbings, Moscow-Idaho stabbings, over and over and over again, in particular on Google because that's the most manipulated search engine that exists. So it has to do with search results, it has to do with the particular names that pop up, and a variety of other things. There are really endless examples where that's been the case. I've brought up some in the past, but that is something to keep in mind going forward. any time that you see a, a very familiar name pop up, uh, in in particular, in a news event, it's almost certainly hand-selected for the purpose of trying to shift the narrative or shift the search results away from one thing and toward another. So that's the first thing. This Aaron Snell guy is very suspicious uh, in, in the conversations that he's having and the things that he's saying because he's providing no details. He's simply providing Very broad comments and uh, ambiguous comments about a number of things. Again, lots of pictures of the individuals, uh, and this is where it gets really odd. It's it's two particular things. Well, actually, it's three for me anyway. When I when I got done watching this, the first is, and again, I'm not a police officer, but I do know this: if you have individuals who are murdered inside of a home. You're not going to allow police cop cars to be all over the property. You're going to want to look for clues. You're going to want to look for footprints. You're going to want to look for hair, blood, anything that could be on the outside of the, pot, uh, outside of the uh, property. rather. And then you're going to want to seal off the entire property and even the street, potentially, that the home is on. Because, again, you're trying to look for clues. This matters. This is a big deal. Not so here. If you look at any of the photographs or any of the video footage from this house, there are police, there are police cars all around the house, parked in front of the house, right up to the front doors, parked to the sides, uh, you name it. It's, it's beyond weird because again, they're trampling all over a crime scene. Now, I've heard the excuse that, you know, these police officers aren't, uh, they're not qualified for this, and, you know, they've never had to deal with murders like this before, because no crime happens in this town ever, and, you know, this is just the way that it is, and some mistakes have been made, and communication has been made, and whatever else. You you should know at the very least as a police officer that you don't muddy up a crime scene with with automobile tracks of your own car. I mean, you don't do that. You stay you stay as far away as possible. You start to locate as many things as you can. You move slowly, and then and you certainly park for, far away from the actual crime scene. You don't roll right up to the front door. Uh, and stomp on everything and start opening things up. That's the first thing. The second thing, we've seen no pictures on the out uh, uh, of the inside of the crime scene whatsoever. There's been no footage of any bodies being removed. There's been no ambulance that's been there. That's that's had you know uh, gurneys with a sheet covering a body being taken out. None of that. Absolutely none of that has occurred. The other thing, too, and this is really the kicker, is if that's not suspicious enough. On the outside of the home, along the foundation line, there—it's laughable, actually. There's blood, or what appears to be blood. Certainly, it was zoomed in on with the camera, and pictures were taken. And this story has been told that there was so much blood on the inside of the house from the people who were stabbed to death that the blood has come out of the foundation and dripped through the walls and then down to the outside of the house. This is quite literally impossible. This cannot happen. Again, if you want to learn more about anything ever, dive into the comments section of particular videos and dive into the comments sections on social media and you'll learn a ton of stuff because endless people who build homes for a living, apparently, have said that these pictures are completely staged. There's no way that you can have blood from the inside of a house from a stabbing victim leak through the walls and then out in between the foundation and then down the foundation of the house on the outside of the house. It's embarrassingly stupid, but they're passing this off and attempting to pass this off as being a real thing. So that's the next thing that is that is very odd. Here's the third thing. The third thing is that again, apparently there were well, let me see. See if I can't get this. There were six people inside, four of which allegedly were stabbed to death while they were sleeping. Which is odd because you would hear screaming of some kind. People would typically wake up, go and see what's going on, whatever. But then there were two individuals who were not harmed at all. And apparently, one of the, as the story goes, one of the two individuals apparently found one of the individuals who had been stabbed to death and reportedly said that they were found unconscious. And that's when they decided to call police if they've been stabbed to death the word unconscious is not going to come to mind there's going to be blood everywhere that would typically be the first comment you would make is that it looks like someone's been attacked there's blood everywhere they're not moving bring an ambulance bring help something along those lines but we're not even hearing any of the 911 calls or the singular 911 call that's not even happening So again, that's beyond suspicious also. Not to mention, again, it's been told these two individuals who were in the home who were not hurt were on a separate floor and not sleeping on the same floor. That wouldn't necessarily matter. The individual would have had to have gotten inside of the home from the first floor, thereby passing individuals that they didn't hurt first, only to get to people that they wanted to hurt, allegedly, and then pass them again on their way outside of the house. It makes zero sense, is my, is my entire point. These, these stories aren't matching up. And then again, a different news outlet, completely different, comes back to this Aaron Snell guy. Again, the Moscow State's. State police spokesperson and allegedly again talks to him again and asks him questions. Uh, th- they also haven't released any nine one one call. If I didn't already say that, uh, you know, they haven't released it at all. Seems like that would be one of the first things you would you would release. And then Inside Edition too. And this is again where it gets really embarrassing. They claim that that they know the kind of knife that was used, but they don't even have the murder weapon. There's no murder weapon around. And they're holding up what looks like a Rambo 1 style knife. And they're very, you know, they're trying to be very convincing and say, "Well, you know, the the knife that was used in the stabbing looked just like this and this is exactly what it looked like." And they're holding it up and whatever. It's beyond ridiculous. Again, you 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 don't even you don't even have a murder weapon. Not to mention, again, how would you know that they were in fact stabbed with a knife? It could have been something else. But they're certain that it was in fact a knife, and they're certain that it looks something like this. It makes zero sense. Here's a couple of comments that are embedded in the actual video itself. One of them says, Why would you ask the stores in the area whether or not they sold a knife that was the brand any time recently? Have they heard of shopping online? If the murderer had a knife, they might have had it for years. There's no guarantee it was bought recently. So ridiculous. Thank you for your videos. They always open my eyes. Another one said, "Quote." Another comment said, "I saw a video from the outside of the house that showed blood leaking out through the wall and down the foundation. That's either a fuckload of blood, or that had to, or that had to happen, or completely staged." As someone who works on houses, it's completely staged. And again, this is the other thing too. You get into the actual comments on this bit shoot video, for example, and, and people again are starting to look at it more objectively, calling it a hoax and saying, Man, I can't believe these hoaxes just continue to happen and and so on and so forth. I want to round this out by saying this it always begs the question, why? Why is it that this kind of deception would, would exist with, with such a thing, and how on earth can individuals like this be willing participants? First of all, in fact, let me say this first. One of the things that has already happened, which you heard me mention in previous episodes when it comes to these false flags, is that I made mention of this uh, just on a couple of occasions in a couple of different boards on the internet. One was on Telegram in a comments section, and then the other one was on on my Gab page. I got exactly the same two kinds of comments in response. One of them on Gab was something like, I know people who go there, and it happened because they said it happened. Okay. That doesn't prove anything. That proves nothing. It just means that the game of telephone is in full force. People still play the game of telephone, and that's not proof that anything occurred. The second comment, again, I uploaded the video onto Telegram. I actually uploaded it in the comments section of uh, Ultra Pepe Pepe Lives Matter, because I wanted to see what the responses would be. I got one response, and again, it said the following. They said something like, I live here in the state of Idaho, I know people who knew the students, it happened, it isn't a hoax. Again, that's not proof of anything. The whole idea of a psychological operation is to psych out anybody and everybody, regardless of who it is. If you can trick the next door neighbor of that particular home into believing that a murder happened there, then the PSYOP is complete. Game over. You've got you have fear instilled in everyone. You have a reliance on the police state instilled in people. I should mention this too, I suppose. The GoFundMe pages were up and running and are and are starting to fill up with cash also. I mean GoFundMe is disgusting. It really is. You talk about an instant just a pot of gold, so to speak, for endless people who are participating in any kind of a hoax whatsoever. It's the first place they go. Because again, the, the immediate gullible individuals who believe it just open up their wallets. Let me, let me read this too. This is a direct comment from a person who compiled this particular video on BitChute, and it's on the channel Alice Down the Rabbit Hole. They said this down in the comments. They said sometimes the purpose of a psyop is to make us all look in one direction while the evil elites are doing something in another direction and we're missing it completely. We might figure out what that is later. Again, there's a lot of different things going on all at the same time, and we have the ability to walk and chew gum at the same time. We can pay attention to multiple things, but. Very quickly, I dismissed this. Again, not to, not to sound like a, a heartless individual or anything like that. I'm certainly not, but I just thought to myself okay, stuff like this happens on college campuses, whatever. But I didn't dive into it at all. And again, based on looking at particular things and paying attention to the patterns, which are very similar to what's happened in previous false flags uh, attacks, certainly that are school or student related. It has too many things that are in common with the previous ones. Just too many things in common. The other thing to consider, too, is this, is that, you know, an individual would say to themselves, well, what kind of a person would participate in something like this? I mean, you would have to have active participants agreeing to go along with this. Well, the answer to that is, of course. But we know that money talks and money is a motivator, in particular, for American youth. Look at these younger generations and what they're doing. They're shaking their asses on TikTok, Instagram, inviting all kinds of attention from complete strangers, predators, and other individuals. As again, related to that case, you heard me say previously in a previous episode, that was part of the problem for me, was that if it occurred, which I assumed it did early on, that... Putting your life on social media and you know, basically engaging in, in borderline pornography on social media is going to draw attention from some of the worst that society has to offer. But we know that these individuals are motivated by money too. They want to get rich quick so they don't have to work a day in their life and then they don't have to lift another finger. So money is a motivator. Is it possible people were paid off during this entire thing? Of course. Of course. Is it possible that these particular students, um, I don't want to say weren't real, they probably were real people, but were they selected by either, again, their parents or the outside police department or Freemasons or whatever in order to participate in this hoax, and then, of course, again, paid money uh, in order to, to go along with it? Probably. What we also know is that a quick name change is all it would take for them to be able to re- to be uh, reintroduced into society because their names are so obscure, even right now, that as time moves on, people aren't going to remember who they were, and they probably won't even take the time to look up their photographs. If these individuals were to actually get a job in the future someplace, they wouldn't look up their photo and be like, oh, you look just like that person who was stabbed to death. At the University of Idaho campus. I mean, they probably wouldn't even make that connection. So I'm spitballing a little bit here, but I'm just saying that evil is more evil than I think what people can possibly imagine. And the options that evil has and the options that evil engages in are far more deceptive than what most people will give evil credit for. And yeah, I mean, deception is the motivator. Deception is the name of the game. If you can scare people into believing something that happened that didn't, then you own them. That's more reliant on government. That's more reliance on government. That's more reliance on the police state. That's more reliance on a thousand things. So there you go. And funny, they haven't found the person. Isn't that odd? They haven't even found the person. We haven't seen any crime scenes from inside the house. In fact, the only pictures we've seen from inside the house, the place is spotless. Almost like they were, uh, you know, they just took the pictures from before they rented out the property, before any furniture was there. So, I don't know. It's hinky, is the point. The entire thing is hinky. And uh, it's it's highly possible people are being duped on this one as well. So. Throwing that out there, give the video a watch yourself, make your own objective conclusions. I've made mine. It's hinky enough for me to lean toward it didn't happen. Again, with that said, I engage in the scientific method. If there are other things that would indicate that it actually did happen, and those clues or that proof outweighs what I've just now seen and already seen, which again, causes me to lean the conclusion toward it didn't happen, I'd be willing to look at it. I'd be willing to see it. There you go. Again, the timing too, this is one last thing I'll mention about it. The timing too of the videos were very odd. You have individuals, you know, that you have security footage of two of these apparent girls getting food at a food truck miles away from where they live, but no other footage of them anywhere else whatsoever. And again very early on the police were blaming people that apparently had nothing it you know they had nothing to do with it. Uh I don't know. The whole thing is odd, very odd. You're talking about a smaller university in a town that no one's really ever paid attention to, sort of out in the middle of nowhere in an area that has no crime whatsoever and then all of a sudden something like this happens and they don't have the slightest clue as to who would have done it. You don't have a murder weapon. Again, co- cops trampling all over the crime scene. What appears to be fake blood on the <laughs> on the foundation of the house and the outside of the house. You don't have any footage of any bodies being taken out of the house. It's just odd. The whole thing is weird. So, there's that. Okay. But again, if anybody's got other proof or anything else that they want to toss my way, I'm more than willing to take a look at it. Again, I have an open mind and I'm not going to foreclose and I'm certainly not going to say, you know, I know someone who lives in that state and that person said it happened, so shame on you. I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to parrot. I'm not going to parrot the game of telephone because the game of telephone is retarded. And it's, a, it's, a, it's easily proven to be a bad game for the purpose of poor communication. It only takes one person to mess up the message, and then the message gets muddied. See, that's why the media fails at their job because they're all trying to repeat a lie in many cases, regardless of the story, and they all end up getting it wrong. Just look at Yavaldi. Yavaldi was a perfect example of that. No one, and I mean no one, Got their story straight, based off of the script, and then who's been held accountable? No one. No one in the Uvalde thing has been held accountable. Just like this, very similar. So worth uh, you know worth keeping an eye on in the future. And again, if you have anything about it that expands on the story, so to speak, please send it my way. I'll definitely take a look at it. Okay. Now, speaking of real violence that occurs within schools, this is, this is hilarious. And uh, this is also not a new thing. This is something that occurs with regularity. One of the major reasons why K 12 school teachers leave the business is because of violence, real violence, that either they see, they listen to, they personally experience themselves. Um, you know, it, it happens toward them at the hands of students. And then they end up walking away from the profession, not to mention a lack of accountability. If you have a lack of accountability from administrators, then it's game over, and you're going to have just copious amounts of teachers quitting the profession. That's something that's always occurred, and it's only ramping up even more. This comes from the New York Post, and it's titled, 50 Shell-Shocked Teachers Staff Flee Chaotic Florida School District. This was from December 9th and I'm going to play the video that goes along with this, which again is approximately a minute or so long, but it says the following here in the article. It says, violent and disrespectful classroom behavior has led to a staggering 50 teachers and bus drivers to quit a Florida school district in the last two years. Brevard County School District, the state's 10th largest, held a heated meeting Thursday that offered an unvarnished and often disturbing glimpse into the state of its classrooms. Uh, I'm just going to play the video right here because I think that, again, you'll hear it straight from their mouths as to what they're witnessing. And again, this is just some of the participants within this particular board meeting, which again occurred on December 8th. So give this one a listen.
1: I that I work with and myself, we have to talk to each other in the morning and, and motivate each other just to get to work because we know what we're going to face when we get there. Um, on an everyday basis, I'm deflecting, being attacked, um, scratched, um, head pushed, kicked. Um, I've had my hair pulled and been pulled down to the ground. Um, I've had my throat gone for on multiple occasions. Um, And it's on an everyday basis right now. Um, This is not always the norm. um, As I certainly didn't expect that. And and it wasn't like this when I started a long time ago. There was some discipline problems, but it was not this type of severity. Uh, I know that there's laws that protect our kids. And and I agree that there there has to be laws that protect our kids, but I think it needs to protect all of our kids and our employees. Um, We should be able to go to work and feel safe and our our other children who are witnessing every day they're witnessing myself and other people being attacked and also um children have been hurt because they get away from you and they go to harm other students and it has happened um which is very hard for me to deal with
0: I want to keep reading this article and read some of the specifics before I get into the solution to this, because as you would expect, the solution is remarkably simple. It's just a matter of whether or not the teachers themselves and the administrators, both inside and outside of the building, are willing to pull the trigger on the actual solution. The solution is beyond simple. It's embarrassing. But it goes on here. It says, quote, one student began masturbating inside of a classroom an act that was recorded by a classmate and posted to a group chat another teacher was hit in the face with a tape dispenser while a colleague suffered a bite mark size a, a bite mark the size of an orange after a student punched her on the arm i don't understand that they were they were punched and then bitten it says another teacher was hit in the face. Sorry, oh, I already said that. Sorry. An- another educator. Here we go. Another educator frequently had to remove all furniture from her class because kids were routinely chucking it around the room or at each other. <laughs> what, what a fun place. What a fun place to work. One district teacher said behaviors have markedly worsened since the pandemic. Well, there you go but the classroom behavior was already plunging before COVID-19. Quote, the pandemic was an accelerant to a fire that was already raging, he said. Says the same staffer asserted that sexual misconduct, drug use, theft, violence, targeted spitting, and property destruction had become the demoralizing hallmarks of his profession. Several speakers pointed to the ubiquity of cell phones as a driver of classroom disorder casting many students as screen addicts no longer capable of sustained attention. I agree with that. It also said asserting that a culture of unbelievable disrespect has taken hold. One teacher said her kids look at their devices hundreds of times each day and keep their earbuds in while lessons are in progress. Our students cannot look away from their phones, she said. They cannot stop texting. I agree with that. There's some classroom management, of course, that has to take place. And if they fail to comply, you throw them out of the class. Uh, Yeah, this continues. I'm going to keep going here because it's it's just too juicy. It says students often tell teachers that they have to wrap up a text message before they acknowledge being called on or addressed in class. (laughs) Wow. Educators routinely ask colleagues to watch their classrooms for a few moments so that they can have a mini breakdown. Inside a school bathroom, a speaker noted. Veteran teacher Jean Trent said his colleagues used to call a student's parents or guardian to address problems, but those efforts have been largely abandoned due to f- uh, futility. Uh, let's see. It says Trent said previously, a parent would thank a teacher for reaching out and promise to address the situation at home, but in recent years, they often blame the educator for causing poor behavior. Other parents. Staffers said at the, me- at the meeting that they threaten lawsuits for matters as minor as detention i don't I don't get that one uh Brevard County Sheriff Wayne Ivy recorded a video last month vowing to crack down on unruly behavior inside schools, filming the spot in front of a jail. Let's see, said there would be serious consequences. Quote, as a result of losing teachers in mass, he said, calling disruptive students clowns who are impeding the education of their classmates. Several speakers criticized Ivy at Thursday's meeting and highlighted the suspensions are uh, meted out in disproportionately high numbers to black students. Well, okay. Of course, they would show up and say that. Another quote says, our children are not clowns, said a local NAACP member. They are not snot-nosed. He accused Ivy of using scare tactics and bullying in pushing for disciplinary clampdowns. Yikes. It continues here and it wraps up. It says another speaker said that the district should emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion in any new behavior code. There you go. Quote, I would feel more comfortable about the discipline policy if I knew diversity was appreciated in this area, another district parent said, Quote, and I don't feel it. My fear is that the practices are inconsistent when I hear about the disparities. One par- parent argued, the disruptive students, regardless of race, should be removed from classrooms. If you're throwing a chair in a classroom, you do not belong there, she said. I'm sorry if you can't behave, that's not my child's fault. My child's education should not be hindered because the child doesn't know how to behave. And by that child, I don't mean black, white, Hispanic, or any other thing. I mean the child who wasn't taught how to behave. Well said. Well said. Said that they are, of course, developing new disciplinary framework and will hold future public meetings on the issue. Unquote. Okay. There's so much here. Uh, again, the solutions are simple. The most civilized need to homeschool and remove their children from these environments. Why? Because you don't need to be there. If they can read and they can write, they can teach themselves. They can use abecca.com game over. They're immediately in a safer environment. They're forced to learn. They're forced to read, they're forced to write. They're forced to examine and look up factual information to the best of their ability on the internet or any other place that they would like and then provide that information in their coursework without all of the necessary distractions of having a chair thrown at them or being punched in the face or whatever. Their removal of the most civilized from these school districts is going to ease things for the teacher. Why? Because then the teacher is just left with the uncivilized. So how do you then handle the uncivilized? Simple. If they put their hands on someone, in particular a school teacher, you go to the police department as soon as the school day is over, and you fill out a police report for the arrest of the child for assault and battery. That's it. And you do it every single time and I mean every time, you overwhelm the police department with police reports for the arrests of students. Now, if you're the administrators, you're going to hear about this, and you're not going to want that because administrators don't want police intervention in their schools. Not ever. It doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the area. They really don't want police intervention. What they want is the police to de-escalate particular things so that criminal charges aren't filed against students so that the student can then return because keep in mind the student is a dollar sign they want the student in the building if the enrollment drops because of crime and the criminals being arrested they're losing money now is it making it a safer place to go to school of course it is but they don't see that as being a revenue adder in addition they, they just don't see that as being in addition to their revenue they don't understand that if their environment is in fact safer, more people will want to be there who are civilized. But if it isn't, then it won't be. Again, these are you've heard me say, these are not business-minded people. These are not individuals that understand even what I just said. They have no concept of it whatsoever, none, which is why they run these businesses into the ground. And then they just look around at each other and they say, well, we need to talk to people, and we need to talk to more people and figure it out. They're, they're handling this completely inappropriately, and they're going to keep doing it that way because they don't know how else to do it. Not to mention, this, this is worth mentioning too, I think, is that 50 teachers leaving in a two-year period actually isn't a lot of teachers. I mean, it, it might sound like it, but I've known districts that will lose 150 teachers within a two-year period. That's a big turnover rate, and that happens also. And there are lots of school districts, again, where that's in fact the case. But any time that the turnover rate continues to get worse, there's only one place to look, and that's inward as to the decisions that are, of course, being made. They're not suspending students. They're certainly not expelling them. You have to expel students who physically assault other individuals but of course the excuse that they make is a money one and then they say well everybody has a right to an education regardless of how violent they are not understanding that when you invite violent students back into a building you're making the entire environment less safe that's a huge problem and that's that's detrimental on everyone in particular from a mental and emotional standpoint without a doubt there's nothing more demoralizing as a school teacher than when you see a very violent student return to a school building and everybody in the building knows that they are in fact violent and why and they know why that student left in the first place because once they return everybody says why in the hell are they back here why have they been allowed to come back they don't pull the expulsion trigger enough and it should happen all of the time in fact it's one of those things that should have happened from the very first day of school even before the student enrolls in the school building it should be on a piece of paper If your student touches another student or your student gets in a fight or your student brings drugs, they're gone permanently. It's now your responsibility as a family to find the education for your child because it's not going to happen here. That's a policy change that could actually happen in any school district in America if school boards actually did it. And honest to God, ladies and gentlemen, the behavior would change overnight because the moment that somebody put their hands on somebody else, they're gone. And then, what you would do is, at least I would do this, and you've heard me say this in the past, is I would publicize it. I would say, I don't care if it's a minor or not. We're going to tell the entire school building what this person did and when they did it and why they're now gone permanently. So just let it be a reminder to everybody in the building if you do X, Y, or Z, you're gone permanently because so and so is now gone permanently. But they don't do that. It's all quiet, it's all hush hush let's just let the person disappear or we'll slowly remove them and then slowly bring them back. And we'll do it as quietly as humanly possible. And we won't tell teachers. We won't tell students. We won't even tell concerned parents. We'll leave them in the dark too. It's not going to get better. It won't get better with time. And blaming a fake pandemic is not going to be the solution either. Okay. But again, as I say in the Substack article, that pandemic excuse is going to continue to be used time and time again with almost everything going forward. And it makes zero sense. Here's the next thing I want to bring up. And this is going to be a huge issue, which I also mentioned very briefly in the Substack article, but this is something that is really coming to the forefront here. In my estimation, In particular, in the state of Ohio, where I live, this is uh, this is about to occur. In fact, it's going to occur this week, in just the next day or so. There's going to be a vote regarding the use of Title IX within American K-12 schools. Again, certainly in the state of Ohio, that is going to have to do with whether or not boys can play girls' sports and girls can play boys' sports, because again, they're pretending to be the opposite sex. Uh, I want to read this briefly this description of this keep in mind that what I'm reading uh, w- w- what I'm reading here is from a very hard left wing pro lgbtq plus website it's called honesty for ohio education uh honesty for for ohioeducation.org So you get on the website and it says, quote, State Board of Education Anti-LGBTQ Plus Resolution. It says the following. It says board will vote on total resolution on December 13th of 2022, State Board of Education meeting, uh, with testimony on Monday, December 12th. You can submit your in-person request form and blah, blah, blah. It says, the State Board of Education will hear testimony and vote to reject or adopt Mike Toll's resolution to oppose the proposed changes to Title IX and to affirm parental rights and local control of Ohio K-12 education at the December board meeting on December 12th and 13th, 2022. This comes after the Executive Committee met on November 14th and considered several new resolutions and voted 5-2 to two to move tolls to the December voting agenda. Again, keep in mind, this is coming from a hard left-wing uh, website. It says the following here. Resolution to oppose the proposed changes to Title IX and to affirm parental rights and local control of Ohio K-12 education. Also keep this in mind, there's a lot of wordplay going on here in order to sort of confuse people, because ultimately what groups like Honesty for Ohio Education are trying to do is normalize these perversions. They're trying to normalize this insanity of boys playing in girls' sports, girls playing in boys' sports, However you identify is exactly what everybody needs to just go along with. It's gender dysphoria. It's a mental disorder, and it should, it should be given no quarter, and these individuals should not be given uh, any preferred treatment whatsoever. But again, that's, that's the problem with all of this, is it's being sold as, well, you're discriminating against individuals. No, that's not what it is. It's, you're 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 trying to not normalize insanity, basically. So again, one of the predictions here for 2023, as I say in the Substack article before I read this here, is that this this whole thing is going to ramp up even more this upcoming year. It's going to kick into overdrive. I think that if you certainly the legal battles are, are going to kick into overdrive. Um, American K-12 school districts love breaking the law. They love creating their own policy the best that they can. And believe me, if, if all of them had the opportunity to allow girls to be in boys' bathrooms, boys to be in girls' bathrooms, and girls to play tackle football, and boys to play girls' field hockey, they, they would allow it. They would absolutely allow it. So here's what this says again on honesty for Ohio education. LGBTQ students have a right to a safe, welcoming learning environment that fosters growth and development. Recent updates to the U.S. Department of Education, Title IX agency guidance reinforces these rights and shields LGBTQ plus students from harmful discrimination. Some state board of education leaders do not agree. After debating several proposed anti LGBTQ resolutions and amendments since September of 2021, State Board of Education members will vote on Mike Toll's resolution to oppose the proposed changes to Title IX and to affirm parental rights and local control of Ohio K 12 education at the December board meeting. This resolution is targeted discrimination against transgender, gender diverse, non binary, and intersex students. And perpetuates misinformation and falsehoods about the LGBTQ community. The values and tenets of this resolution will incite further harassment, aggression, and violence toward an already vulnerable and marginalized group of students. Again, everything they say is backwards. The amount of violence that's going to occur as a result of allowing boys to play girls' sports is going to be next level. It continues. It says, it is outrageous that elected and appointed state education leaders are seeking ways to violate federal anti-discrimination protections and further endanger Ohio students rather than protect them. Ill-guided state board members are using this resolution as a vehicle to infuse their own narrow ideology and politics into public education. You heard that right. Everything is backwards. Everything is upside down. They want you to believe that you're the crazy person. Ladies and gentlemen, this is 1984, the book in real life. I'm going to read this. These are the pro- this is the proposed resolution. <laughs> the first one says, Defines gender identity as biological sex. Yep. The next one says, does not recognize the federal anti-discrimination protections based on sex extended to gender identity and sexuality. Does not, the next one says, does not recognize Title IX anti-discrimination protections extending to LGBTQ students. The next one says, opposes recent updates to the United States Department of Education's Title IX agency Guidance about complying with federal Title IX anti discrimination protections for LGBTQ students. The next one sides with a lawsuit filed by the Ohio Attorney General and 21 other Attorney Generals suing the United States Department of Agriculture for their rule requiring schools receiving federal nutrition funding must comply with federal anti discrimination laws. The next one says, Asks the General Assembly to endorse and protect school districts that discriminate against LGBTQ students and requires the acting state superintendent send a letter to every Ohio public school district and every Ohio elementary or secondary school or preschool program licensed by the Department of Education receiving federal funds stating the following. Number one. State boards oppose the proposed regulatory changes released by the U.S. Department of Education on June 23, 2022. Number two, the applicable U.S. DOE guidance documents have been enjoined by a U.S. district court and are therefore unenforceable at this time. Number three, the state board disagrees with the rule promulgated by the Department of Agriculture on June 14, 2022. Number four, while this rule currently remains in effect, the Ohio Attorney General has joined with 21 other state attorney generals in seeking injunctive relief from the new USDA rule. And number five, this correspondence is intended to inform schools and districts not to compel them to take a particular course of action the the point is this the good guys are trying to keep girls in girls sports and boys in boys sports and keep the bathrooms and locker rooms separate the degenerates are not and the civil war is ongoing and is about to explode here this week so as i said earlier local american k12 schools and the degenerates that tend to run them are going to push for all of these degenerate policies because, again, that's what they defend because it's who they are as people. They don't know anything else. Their habits become their profession. Their habits become their professional development. Their personal habits become their problem and then they want to have their problems be everybody else's problems that's the marxist ideology that's basically it in a nutshell but this is going to go on nationwide in school districts and states all over the place and that's assuming again that you don't have state law on the books that already has it in stone that such things can or cannot occur but the civil war is going to be between state boards of education and the attorney general's office, and then, of course, local school districts. So this is something to watch. Again, my prediction in 2023, this is going to get a whole lot worse. This is going to get worse. And as you've heard me say, this is the, this is the degenerate battlefield. This is the rainbow flag battlefield. You don't want your children anywhere near this. So, get them off the battlefield, get them away from these school environments, homeschool. Again, if they can read, they can teach themselves. That should be good enough. Now, here's where I came across this, which leads me back to the Westerville City School District board meeting. I've watched these individuals, and there are typically, again, two board meetings that I watch in two separate areas in Ohio. This particular board, uh, I, I've got to tell you, they are full-blown brainwashed. Now, most of them are. In fact, I would go so far as to say all of them are, but even the ones that are, are seemingly doing the right things, they, they don't even know how deep the rabbit hole goes. These people are, are full-blown brainwashed though. They believe every school shooting is a real thing. They reference them with regularity, et cetera, et cetera. What occurred during this meeting was interesting on a variety of levels, which again is going to lead me into the jab discussion here and some news I have on jabs. These people are full-blown jabbed, without a doubt. These were people that were separated from one another when they were sitting at their table during their meetings, wearing masks, telling everybody to wear masks, and then advocating for the shots. You also have very few people who watch their board meeting. Again, we're talking about one of the largest school districts in Ohio, and their, their board meetings on YouTube will only get, I would say, less than 100 views per video. That's pathetic, because that's indicative of the outside community and the people who attend the district and how they too are brainwashed, because they're not paying attention as to what's going on in those board meetings. And if you're not paying attention and you're a parent, or you're an employee and you're not paying attention, you're asleep at the wheel. And you have no idea what's going on. So that's the next thing. You've heard me mention the board before too, in relation to a quote-unquote non-binary person who really is just a girl pretending to be a boy and dressing like a boy, who gave a presentation about all of the words and all of the LGBT alphabet soup junk, and uh, and they were trying to normalize it within the high school environment in particular. The school board gave them the opportunity to give at least an hour-long presentation on these subjects, and it was ridiculous. Ultimately, the school board voted against having this kind of indoctrination, they would call it education, but it's indoctrination and perverse brainwashing, be allowed within their school district, which is apparently a good thing. Hopefully, that's the case anyway. This particular board meeting, though, this last one, it kicked off with a presentation by the treasurer. And the treasurer was openly sharing the numbers and the amount of money that they have been spending over the last years and their projected spending in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, the size of this school district is interesting because they are spending more money and they openly admit and show on the screen that they're spending more money next year. Than they've ever spent ever in any previous year. They're then, of course, claiming they're not receiving enough money. So they're spending more than what they have. What does that mean? Means they're running out of it and they're going to run out of it eventually. And then what are they going to do? They're either going to have to make cuts or they're going to have to tax the local taxpayers and property owners through a school levy. It's almost as if it's inevitable for every school district where this is going to be the case. They can't get a hold of their spending because they're spending it on crap like all of their LGBTQXYZ packs good behavior games social emotional learning this critical theory that garbage. That's where all the money is going. And then of course hiring the people that perpetuate those messages and those lesson plans and whatever they might be within those school districts. You just fire those people and you're going to save copious amounts of money, but they don't do that. They keep those people around and they don't understand that inviting these kinds of things in is going to make them broke. And that's going to back up on everybody. So that was the first observation. It was a monetary observation. And that's a, that's a big problem. They didn't they said the word levy once but they didn't come out and say we're going to have a levy in the future. They just did the first thing which they always do which is they say well we haven't had a levy in a really long time and we don't foresee that needing to be the case. That's always the first line they say before down the line they say well I think we need a levy now. We don't like the idea of a levy? We understand some people aren't necessarily going to like that, but the, you know We're losing money and costs are going up, so you know, we need to we need to siphon more money out of the hardworking American taxpayer and property owner as much as we possibly can. It's going to backfire on them, without a doubt. And their enrollment, of course. They have to be losing students. They have to. You've heard me say it again, the smartest students are not attending these school buildings. They just aren't. So who's left? Um, th- the next observation w- was this one. Again, it's it, it's a health related one, and you, you can't make this up. There's a particular individual who sits on that school board. Her last name is Altman, and uh, she sits just left as you're looking at them. She sits just left of the of the president of the school board, who's like a I don't know, just very plain lot of very plain individuals on the school board. It's it's sad. Uh, not the sharpest knives in the drawer, but this Altman woman has got to be at least triple jabbed. I'm surprised she's still alive. In fact, I'm shocked any of them are still alive because they have to be jabbed. But this woman has got a cough like you haven't heard in your life. I mean, it is one of those deep, guttural coughs. She's a thin gal. Um, she looks pale. She looks gaunt. She's, look, she, she's looking physically worse as, as the meetings go on. Uh, but as she's coughing, she's turning to her right and coughing on the woman right next to her. I find this funny <laughs> for a variety of reasons, because if they'd have done that a year or two years ago, I mean, they would have ended the meeting. They would have said, well, we need to adjourn, Uh, you know, everybody leave, and then they would have hosed everybody down and thrown them into a meat wagon and then carried them away, and I mean, that would have been the end of it. They would have force-tested everybody in the room, but now no one's wearing a mask. There's no mask-wearing taking place. Everybody's jabbed. They look physically ill, and one of them is hawking up a lung on camera on a constant basis. And this is a cough that hasn't gone away. She's had this cough for at least a year. I mean, she has AIDS. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, they don't understand what coughing is. When you're coughing like that, that's the, uh, that's the body's way of trying to get rid of toxic cells that it can't normally get rid of on its own without creating that kind of a physical response to expelling toxic cells but the fact that she's coughing on the woman right next to her with regularity and nobody's saying or doing anything she's not even excusing herself from the table she's just turning and just hacking right in her direction i thought coughs spread covid i thought that if the person was coughing then they must be sick and and i mean where where's all the panic now it's it's just so embarrassing so, again, my recommendation is this pick a couple of different school boards, a couple in a couple of different areas, and watch some of their videos. I'm telling you, it'll raise your blood pressure, but at the exact same time, you'll get a really keen eye as to what is going on within these places because they are brainwashed, fully brainwashed. It's sad to watch, actually, and it really is one of those. Gifts wrapped in a curse. That when you wake up from the matrix, you can see people who still live inside the matrix, and the people who are standing up again. When it comes to the public comments section, honest to God, there's no concerned parents giving presentations within these within these board meetings. None, zero. It's it's uh, it's so uncharacteristic within the Westerville City Schools to 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 have that happen. That when it does happen, they assume that the person who has the concern who is speaking at the microphone must be insane. That's how brainwashed these people are into believing that everything that they do is right. Because the people who are giving the presentations, I kid you not, are school teachers. They're actual school employees. Those are the only people giving the presentations at these board meetings. It's weird. I think it's weird. But that shows you how far gone these people are. I'm telling you, it's going to take students and staff members falling over dead in the middle of, a, in the middle of class in order for people to start figuring this out. That's, that's going to have to happen. It's already happened, of course, in numerous school districts across the United States, but, you know, the media is doing a pretty good job of keeping that hush-hush. But that's going to ramp up in the future, too. So something else to keep an eye out on. Okay. Jab related things. Um, Anthony Fauci is going to have a successor. I just want to read this very quickly. This is from Warroom.org by Natalie Winters. It says the following: It says Fauci's replacement signed deals pushing research collaboration with Chinese Communist Party in Wuhan, responsible for secret reversal of gain of function funding ban says, Dr. Hugh. Oh, wow. The last names. This, this guy's going to be fun. Fauci was easy to pronounce, not this guy. Uh, Auchin, Auchincloss, if I'm saying that right, Dr. Hugh Auchincloss, selected to be Dr. Anthony Fauci's temporary successor at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, spearheaded efforts to broaden the federal agency's collaborative research with Chinese military-length scientific institutions that funded uh, controversial bat coronavirus research conducted by the Wuhan Institute of Virology and EcoHealth Alliance. Let me clear something up here real quick too. When you hear the phrase bat Wuhan virus or bat coronavirus involving actual bats, All they're doing is killing bats, letting the bats ferment, letting all the juices of the dead bat come out of the bat, and then they suck up those juices in a syringe, and then they inject it into their already existing poison that they have lined up for people to take. That's that's what that is. There's no such thing as a bat virus. There's just dead bat poison cells from a dead bat, which is poisonous. And then that's it. They inject it wherever they want to inject it or mix it with whatever they already have mixed up, and then they give it to people. So there's, there's the name. I just wanted to get the name out there. Dr. Hugh Aachenklaas is going to uh, be the new guy on the scene here coming up, at least for a little while. That should be interesting. Um, here's the next thing, and then I'm going to end with a piece of audio. This comes from nature.com, and it was published again in their journal, Nature, titled Nature. It is titled, uh, let's see here, this is from December 8th, titled Discriminatory Attitudes Against the Unvaccinated During a Global Pandemic. I want to read this abstract because it's funny and partially true. It says the following During the COVID 19 pandemic, sizable groups of unvaccinated minorities persist even in countries with high vaccine access. Consequently, vaccination became a controversial subject of of debate and even protest. Here, we assess whether people express discriminatory attitudes in the form of negative affect stereotypes. And exclusionary attitudes in family and political settings across groups defined by COVID 19 vaccination status. We quantify discriminatory attitudes between vaccinated and unvaccinated citizens in 21 countries covering a diverse set of cultures across the world. Across three conjoint experimental studies, 5,223, I'm sorry, 233, we demonstrate that vaccinated people express discriminatory attitudes toward the unvaccinated, as high as the discriminatory attitudes suffered by common targets like immigrant and minority populations. In contrast, there is an absence of evidence that unvaccinated individuals display discriminatory attitudes toward vaccinated people except for the presence of negative affect in Germany and United States. We find evidence in support of discriminatory attitudes against the unvaccinated in all countries except Hungary and Romania, and find that discriminatory attitudes are more strongly expressed in cultures with stronger cooperative norms. Prior research of the Psychology of cooperation has shown that individuals react negatively against perceived free riders. I love that. Maybe we should start calling ourselves free riders. (laughs) I dig that. Pure blood is cool. Free thinker works. Independence even better. But free rider, that's, you know, it's got a motorcycle tinge to it. I kind of like that. It says, including in the domain of vaccinations. Consistent with this, The present findings suggest that contributors to the public good of epidemic control, i.e. the vaccinated, so they think, react with discriminatory attitudes against perceived free riders, i.e. the unvaccinated. Ladies and gentlemen, that's it. It's official. We're calling ourselves free riders right now. All right? From here on out, we're purebloods, but we're free riders. Let's use their own terms against them. It concludes here and it says elites and the vaccinated general public appealed to moral obligations to increase COVID 19 vaccine uptake. But the present findings suggest that discriminatory attitudes, including support for the removal of fundamental rights, simultaneously emerged. Yes, it certainly did. The free riders, ladies and gentlemen. It was the free riders that were discriminated against the entire time. And yet, isn't it funny? It's the free riders who are going to survive. Weird. Weird. It's almost like we did our homework. It's almost like we don't trust government. Weird how that works. I want to end with this. I liked that article a lot. I still have a smile on my face. You heard me mention earlier that, of course, Senator Ron Johnson decided to have his roundtable last week. Uh, with all the sort of usual suspects, so to speak, sitting around the table claiming to be you know, the, the most knowledgeable in medicine. Of course, they would never invite in Dr. Thomas Cowan or Dr. Kaufman or anybody else like Dr. Lee Merritt, who again know that viruses are not real. They wouldn't do that. They wouldn't have those people around. They're the conspiracy theorists, the uh, Dr. Pilevskis and so on and so forth. That that's, that's too bad that they're doing that, but it's par for the course for them. They, of course, have Dr. Ryan Cole and Peter McCullough and Robert Malone and all these other individuals. There is, however, one particular audio clip here that I want to play from that roundtable here, and it is of a military doctor who very quickly, by the name of Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, goes through the side effects, we'll say, or the intentionals, as I like to call them, from these shots and these bioweapon shots and what she has seen among those who are within the military. She runs right through it very quickly. Again, this audio clip is uh, just 50 seconds long. So give this a listen, ladies and gentlemen. I'll end with this, and then I will catch you on Wednesday. Take care.
1: Briefly, what you've seen in your population of uh, the finest among us, the service members who've been forced to get the vaccine? Uh, again, we, we saw the the material, but clinically, what are you seeing in your clinical uh, experience? I've seen three strokes, transient ischemic attacks, massive clot to the spleen and liver, spinal tumors, brain tumors, uh, sarcoidosis, lupus, um, cognitive impairment, myocarditis, pericarditis a vascular necrosis of the hip requiring total hip replacement um, without history of trauma or underlying coagulopathy, And I see a shocking um, suppression of the immune system that is pervasive in increased liver enzymes.
0: Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.